at the social level. We can have an adult conversation about barns, and at the psychological level, it is a child conversation about sex play. On the surface, the adult seems to have the initiative, but as in most games, the outcome is determined by the child. 64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Welcome to the Book of the Week series. Every week, as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. My name is Igor S.F. Walker. Today, we look at games people play, the psychology of human relationships by Eric Derne. So, how about you slow down and relax? Reduce all that noise for just a minute. Make that choice and decide to listen. In this video, we look at an amazing analysis and a clear understanding of games we all play. It is possible to understand, to some extent, what it means to be game-free. We look at further thinking and reading and new clinical material, as opposed to only pushing discoveries of yesterday that simply are no longer supported by evidence. The vocabulary and viewpoint are primarily oriented towards the practicing clinician, but the members of other professions may find this book interesting and very useful. So stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I have in use that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. The games are described primarily from the male point of view, unless they are clearly feminine. Thus, the chief player is usually designated as he, but without prejudice, since the same situation, unless otherwise indicated, could easily be outlined with a she. Mutatis mutandis. If the woman's role differs significantly from the man's, then it is treated separately. The theory of social intercourse. Spitz has found that infants deprived of handling over a long period will tend at length to sink into an irreversible decline and are prone to succumb eventually to intercurrent disease. In effect, this means that what he calls emotional deprivation can actually have a fatal outcome. These observations give rise to the idea of stimulus hunger and indicate that the most favorite forms of stimuli are those provided by physical intimacy. A conclusion 
not hard to accept on the basis of everyday experience. An applied phenomenon is seen in grown-ups subjected to sensory deprivation. In the past, social and sensory deprivation is noted to have had similar effects in individuals condemned to long periods of solitary imprisonment. On the biological side, it is probable that emotional and sensory deprivation tends to bring about or encourage organic changes. After the period of close intimacy with the mother is over, the individual for the rest of his life is confronted with a dilemma upon whose horns his destiny and survival are continually being tossed. One horn is the social, psychological, and biological forces which stand in the way of continued physical intimacy in the infant style. The other is his perpetual striving for its attainment. Under most conditions, he will compromise. After stimulus hunger and recognition hunger comes structure hunger. The eternal problem of the human being is how to structure his waking hours. In this existential sense, the function of all social living is to lend mutual assistance for this project. Programming. It has three aspects, material, social, and individual. The most common, convenient, comfortable, and utilitarian method of structuring time is by a project designed to deal with the material of external reality, or what is commonly known as work. Material programming arises from the necessitudes encountered in dealing with external reality. It is of interest here only insofar as activities offer a matrix for stroking, recognition, and other complex forms of social intercourse. Social programming results in traditional ritualistic and or semi-ritualistic interchanges. Now, the chief criterion for it is local acceptability, popularly called good manners. Now, more and more individual programming creeps in so that incidents begin to occur. Now, these incidents superficially appear to be advantageous, and they may be so described by the parties concerned, but careful scrutiny reveals that they tend to follow definite patterns which are amenable to sorting and classification, and that the sequence is circumscribed by unspoken rules and regulations. Such sequences, which in contrast to pastimes, are based more on individual than on social programming, and they may be called games. <coughs> to say that the bulk of social activity consists of playing games does not necessarily mean that it is mostly fun, or that the parties are not seriously engaged 
in the relationship, the essential characteristic of human play is not that the emotions are spurious, but that they are regulated. This is seen real when sanctions are imposed on an illegitimate emotional display. The play may be grimly serious or even fatally serious, but the social sanctions are serious only if the rules are broken. Pastimes and games are actually substitutes for the real living or real intimacy. Intimacy begins when individual, usually instinctual programming becomes more intense and both social patterning and ulterior restrictions and motives begin to give way. It is the only completely satisfying answer to stimulus hunger, recognition hunger, and structure hunger. Its prototype is the act of loving impregnation. The advantages of social contract revolve around somatic and psychic equilibrium. They are related to the following factors. Number one, the relief of tension. Number two, the avoidance of nauseous situations. Number three, the procurement of stroking. And number four, the maintenance of an established equilibrium. Now, translated into terms of social psychiatry, they may be stated as number one, the primary internal advantages. Number two, the primary external advantages. Number three, the secondary advantages. And number four, the existential advantages. At any given moment, each individual in a social aggregation will exhibit a parental, adult, or child ego state. And individuals can shift with varying degrees of readiness from one ego state to another. Number one, ego state, which resembles those of parental figures. Number two, ego states, which are autonomously directed towards objective appraisal of reality. And number three, those which represent archaic relics, still active ego states, which were fixated in early childhood. In the child resides intuition, creativity, and spontaneous drive and enjoyment. The adult is necessary for survival. Now, the task of the adult is to regulate the activities of the parent and the child and to mediate objectively between them. The parent has two main functions. It enables the individual to act effectively as the parent of actual children, thus prompting the survival of the human race. And secondly, it makes many responses automatic which conserves a great deal of time and energy. All three aspects of the personality have a high survival and living value. Simple transactional analysis is concerned with diagnosing which ego state implemented the transactional stimulus and which one executed the transactional response. The first rule of communication 
is that communication will proceed smoothly as long as transactions are complementary. The converse rule is that communication is broken off when a crossed transaction occurs. Transactions may be classified then as complementary or crossed, simple or ulterior. And then ulterior transactions may be subdivided into angular and duplex types. Games are clearly differentiated from procedures, rituals, and pastimes by two chief characteristics. Number one, their ulterior quality, and number two, the payoff. Procedures may be successful, rituals effective, pastimes profitable, but all of them are by definition candid. They may involve a contest, but not conflict. And the ending may be sensational, but it is not dramatic. Every game, on the other hand, is basically dishonest, and the outcome has a dramatic, as distinct from merely exciting, quality. In general, people who suffer misfortunes may be divided into three classes. Those in whom the suffering is inadvertent, and unwanted. Now these may or may not exploit the sympathy which is so readily offered to them. Some exploitation is natural enough and it may be treated with common courtesy. Number two, those in whom the suffering is inadvertent but it is gratefully received because of the opportunities for exploitation that it offers. Here, the game is an afterthought, a secondary grain in Freud's sense. And three, those who seek suffering, like polysurgery addicts who go from one surgeon to another until they find one willing to operate. Here, the game is the primary consideration. Underworld games with the infiltration of the helping professions into the courts, probation departments, and correctional facilities, and with the increasing sophistication of criminologists and law enforcement officers, those concerned should be aware of the most common games prevalent in the underworld, both in prison and out of it. Now, these include cops and robbers, how do you get out of here? And let's pull a fast one on Joey, the psychiatrist who is in the best and perhaps the only position to study games adequately, unfortunately deals almost entirely with people whose games have led them into difficulties. This means that the games which are offered for clinical investigations are all in some sense bad ones. And since, by definition, games are based on ulterior transaction, they must all have some element of exploitation. For those two reasons, practical on one hand and theoretical on the other, the search for good games becomes a difficult quest. A good game 
might be described as one whose social contribution outweighs the complexity of its motivations, particularly if the player has come to terms with those motivations without futility or cynicism. Number one, games are passed on from generation to generation. The favorite games of any individual can be tracked back to his parents and then grandparents and then forward to his children and they in turn, unless there's a successful intervention, will teach them to his grandchildren. Number two, raising children is primarily a matter of teaching them what games to play. Different cultures and different social classes favor different types of games. Various tribes and families favor different variations of these. That is the cultural significance of games. Number three, games are sandwiched, as it were, between pastimes and intimacy. Pastimes grow boring with repetition, as do promotional cocktail parties. Intimacy requires stringent circumspection and is discriminated against by parent, adult, and the child. Society frowns upon candidness, expecting privacy. This is the social significance of games. And number four, people. Pick his friends, associates, and intimates. Other people who play the same games. Hence, everybody who is anybody in a given social circle. Aristocracy, juvenile, gang, social club, college campus, and so on. Behaves in a way which may seem quite foreign to members of a different social scale. Now this is the personal significance of games. Four different significances of games. See, the aware person is alive because he knows how he feels, where he is, and when it is. He knows that after he dies, the trees will still be there, but he will not be there to look at them again. So he wants to see them now with as much poignancy as possible. Spontaneity means option, the freedom to choose and express one's feelings from assortment available, parent feelings, adult feelings, and child feelings. It means liberation, liberation from the compulsion to play games. Intimacy means the spontaneous, game-free candidness of an aware person. The liberation of these perspectives, uncorrupted child in all its naivety, living in the here and now. For certain fortunate people, there is something which transcends all classification of behavior, and that is awareness. Something which rises above the programming of the past, and this is spontaneity. 
and something that is more rewarding than games, and that is intimacy. But all three of these may be frightening and even perilous to the unprepared. And there you have it. Games people play, the psychology of human relationships. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it, share it, share it too and spread the word. Leave a comment, share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below. So buy it, read and never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and find out what actually motivates you, what innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready, to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management even further, then do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.